This episode is brought to you by the Inspire Collection by Kalia. Just because you're working out doesn't mean you shouldn't look fabulous. The Inspire Collection by Kalia was designed with both style and performance in mind. It looks good, feels good, and stays put no matter how you move. And the collection has everything you need for a day at the gym. A support bra, crop tanks, bike shorts, amazing leggings, and more. It's their most versatile collection yet. Shop the Inspire Collection by Kalia now, exclusively at Dick's Sporting Goods. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. This is the Olive Magazine podcast, a weekly round of food and drink chat brought to you by the team behind Olive Magazine, and this is episode 102. I'm Janine, Olive's food director and podcast host, and I'm here today with Ellie. Hi, Ellie. Hello. And you're going to tell us about your podcast coming up, which is all about asparagus. It is indeed. So I um, popped on down to Fortnum and Mason and had a chat with Andrew, who's their head of fresh food and buying. So he deals with all the vegetables and... <laughs> Yeah, we just kind of have a bit of a asparagus lowdown. So we talk about why it does have such a short season and why yeah. you need to really make the most of it. And we chat about how you should cook it, the how how it grows as well. And um, the thing that I really didn't know, which I probably should have known, the difference between white and green asparagus. I don't know that. Well, <laughs> I know he said it as if, really, you don't know this? So mm. I, I think it's because, listen. yeah, because white asparagus is classically quite French. Like it's more, Yes, yeah. he was saying it's on the continent. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and they, so, they love it. Yeah. But whenever I've had it's, it, it's kind of been a bit tasteless. Mm, yeah, that's why I think because we're so lucky to have the, the green stuff, stuff. We're, like, we're like no it's not as good but yeah that's cool and another thing that we're chatting about in the podcast is um british puds as on may she was out now and there's a celebration of british puds recipe feature and we did a survey um to find out the nation's favorite british puds and the answer it's not tapioca, by the way. It's not indeed. Um, it's something that Ellie never heard of. No, it's quite surprising. <laughs> because, all right, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave yeah, it. Yeah, we have to. What see has can, she not eaten? See if you can guess. Um, it's quite an old-fashioned one. Um, and then finally, um, and totally non-British, I got to meet up with the charming Took Osborne from Tabasco because they're 150 this year. Um, so big celebrations going on about them. Um 
and to learn all about the magic behind their hot sauce. I'm a massive fan of Tabasco. I'm, well, always got a bottle on yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> I have always got a mini bottle on me. Um, and it's such a magical story because um, there's only actually three ingredients in Tabasco and it uses minimal human intervention to make wow. the sauce happen. So it's, it is a great story and it's so fascinating. So I urge everyone to um, hang on to the end of the podcast and give that a listen. Yeah. But thanks very much for that, Ali. Thank you. All right, go and give a listen. Hello, and I'm here with Andrew, who is Head of Fresh Food and Hospitality Buying at Fortnum & Mason. And we're here to talk about asparagus, because obviously it's asparagus season now. And I think of all the vegetable seasons, this and Jersey Royals are the ones that people get really excited about. And so asparagus season runs from April to June. And so, Andrew, why does it have such a short season? Uh, Good morning, first. Um... It's it's one of our favourite times of the season here at Fortnum's. It's um, highly anticipated and it's highly regarded because it's English asparagus is one of the tastiest products, vegetables that appear on the calendar, the food calendar. Um, believe it or not, asparagus is such a voracious grower that it literally runs out of juice <laughs> at the end of June. Traditionally, it's um, they, they, they say Father's Day is the last day of cutting. Um, but some growers do tend to um, keep it longer. But it has a very short season because once the, once the, the earth warms up um, from spring sun, um, it's a grass. It grows um, very rapidly. Um, and if the climate and the, and the conditions are right, um, they can grow between 8 and 10 centimetres um, a day. So you can imagine it has all of this um, built-up energy throughout 10 months of the year and then the last two months of its growing season, it's trying to get out as quickly as it can. Um, and asparagus, if, if the weather conditions are right, you can cut early morning a spear um, and then come back late afternoon and another spear would have grown and taken its place. So it, it grows in abundance, it grows um, rapidly, and then towards the end of June it, it loses its vigour and its, its energy and then it goes to sleep for the rest of the, for the 10 months. And so what are the best conditions for growing asparagus in? Um, obviously warm soil, um, as, as, as it's a grass, all um, spring grasses need warm soil, they need heat, they need light. Um, and it just, just like um, normal grass that you and I know in our front lawn, it, it tends to grow quite quickly once the, once the weather starts warming up. Needs very good um, light. It needs good um, irrigation, so watering. Um, and it's... It needs good sandy, light soil, not clay, heavy soil, so the spears can come through undamaged. They're, they're not forcing themselves through. Um, so, so, yeah, generally the conditions that you would expect grass to grow in, water, sunlight, heat um, and, and good soil, they're the, they're the best conditions for asparagus. And so if you've got all those conditions, should it be quite easy to grow asparagus? Um, yes and no. Uh, the the amateur horticulturalist can grow it in their garden, but don't expect don't expect it to come up the moment you plant a crown. So that they generally t- and don't be greedy either, because you can end up um, ruining the crown and ruining the roots and, and stimming their growth. So you can you can grow asparagus quite easily, but it, if you're in it, you've got to be in it for the long game. And generally speaking, the first year you won't get a high yield. Second year you'll get a reasonable yield. Um, and then third year, then you can expect to really um, get a decent crop. But if you keep forcing it and keep cutting it when it's in its early stages, you'll, you'll do it no favours. 
And so I know a lot of people, when they think of asparagus, they just think of green asparagus. But you can actually get white asparagus too. What, what are the differences between those two? Um, same, same type of grass. It's, um, it's uh, the asparagus grass. The, the difference between green and white is green has been exposed to, to sunlight. And white, which is more, um, more common on the continent, particularly in Germany and France, where it um, is revered. As they grow, um, soil is surrounding the spears to avoid getting direct sunlight onto it. And as the spears grow, the soil gets, they, they mound the soil around it um, to avoid it hitting sunlight and it remains white. So it has a different textural property as well and and also a flavor it's a little bit um it's more slightly more metallic and uh, more nut flavor to it as opposed to the grassy creamy sweetness of a of green asparagus but again another, a delicacy that's um hitting uk markets more and more we're finding that people are um looking for white asparagus um over here in the uk but germany france it's it's really revered and it's um a real delicacy as soon as people get asparagus they get so excited um but i think a lot of people just eat it quite simply what is the best way to prepare it as a vegetable Uh, just as you said to think it's it's such a, a english asparagus is such a beautiful tasting uh, spear and grass that you don't personally I don't like to muck around with it I don't like to put it into quiches where it's masked by other flavors or you know cooked for quite a long long time it's it's such a short season it's such a, a unique and distinct taste English asparagus that it's best served um, in its natural format my my favorite my favorite way to to cook um, asparagus is gently gently boiled in salted water not too much um, and with butter in the water as well. So the butter emulsifies, doesn't emulsify, but it, it coats the asparagus with a lovely sheen. And then drained, and then good quantity of butter, black pepper, and a good finishing salt, a nice fleur de sel. Um, and then with a poached egg on top. Or, funny enough, it, it, um, Gold's egg season is more or less falls on the same time as asparagus. And it's one of Britain's classic ingredients, gulls eggs. Uh, and here at Fortnum's, we, it's, again, another one of the, the, the calendar um, events that we all watch out for and that we all get excited about. So we've literally... We're, we're a week into selling gulls eggs. So gulls eggs and asparagus are two incredible combinations yeah. that um, could be a little bit pricey, but... <laughs> It's well worth, you only need a little bit of it, but it's well worth the, um, the experience in that flavour combination. The other, way you could, um, the other way you could enjoy asparagus is to, to lightly um, brush it with good olive oil and then griddle it in a, in a very hot griddle pan um, until it's tender and charred, not too much, finish it off with some lovely finishing salt. Salt is very important with asparagus and a good quality fleur de sel or a good quality finishing salt, um, it will thank you for. And then, um, again, a, a, either a boiled egg or a poached egg or maybe some uh, little chopped up pieces of uh, a chorizo, and that's it. Parmesan goes well with, with um, asparagus and a, a very good quality balsamic, but just lightly drizzled just to... Um, add some complementary flavours to it. So 
it's um, it's quite a neutral flavour. Don't cook it in too much salt, but a, a good finishing salt and cracked black pepper just enhance the flavour and also the texture as well. When you, you so you crunch on a little bit of salt crystals, you have the lovely softness of asparagus. Not too soft. Don't overcook it. So it's got to remain nice and green. Um, but it's yeah, it's a it's a very it's a classic combination, uh, and and it does complement. And, and the asparagus will thank you for it. And so I think one of the final thing is that you kind of, with a lot of fruit and vegetables that are out of season, you do see it popping up on the menu kind of earlier than April and a little bit later than June. And do you think that should be happening or do you think we should literally just stick to when it's in season? For the ultimate eating experience, I think enjoy it when it's in season. Um, and I don't want to preach and I don't want to um, tell people what to do. So everybody makes their own choice. But I, I wouldn't buy, I wouldn't choose asparagus on a menu outside of English asparagus season. Um, the majority of asparagus that comes over to the, to the UK and, and Europe is mainly from South America. Um, it's Peruvian asparagus, which is great. It's good. It, it serves a purpose, um, but it's, it hasn't got the distinct flavour the minerality of, of English asparagus. And it is, you, you will tell the difference, you can tell the difference. Um, I think everybody will be able to tell the difference if you put put them on a, on a blind tasting together. So um, I think when it's in season, grab it, take it, enjoy it, eat it. Um, when it's out of season, if you do fancy asparagus, enjoy it, but not as, not as ubiquitous as you would when it's, um, when it's in our season. Amazing. Thank you so much, Andrew. And everyone should go out and buy and eat some asparagus now. Hello, this is Laura, the editor of Olive Magazine. Hello. And I'm here with Janine, our lovely food director, your lovely host, (laughs) and Ellie, our editorial assistant. Hello. Um, So there's some big news this week. Well, two things. One, Olive Magazine is out, so that's always big news. (laughs) But also there's a little thing called the Royal Wedding. I don't know if you guys have heard about that. Um, (laughs) Slightly aware of it, yes. So we're tenuously doing a podcast now on, on both of those things, but mostly to do with one of the features that we've got in the issue. So we've got this incredible um british puddings feature yeah so the whole issue is kind of is celebrating british produce ingredients uh people producers artisans um and this hero feature we've got is puddings which yeah we um we decided that um british puddings is it's really enduring everyone loves it you know of, of all ages um and we got one of our writers Sarah Cook to go away and think of um you know what the sort of classic puddings are and then just give them a little bit of a kind of modernization mm. a bit of a twist so we've got some there I mean they're all classic flavors in there but they're all quite unusual as well yeah I think that's something we do really well as yeah. British people we do puddings really really well yeah. and we did a little survey to kind of figure out what our readers and yeah. the general public love and love and hate yeah. to make sure we avoided <laughs> those um it was quite interesting actually some of the results we got to yeah. kind of feed into this article wasn't it yeah the um, the most surprising thing for me was um, <laughs> the amount of puddings that we'd, we'd already commissioned these before the, we got the results of the server. The amount of puddings <laughs> that we that we managed that we managed to tick boxes on that everyone loved. But the pudding that um, people most think of when they think of British puddings is spotted dick, which yeah. is crazy because I haven't seen that around for like I mean years. <laughs> I think it says a lot about our readers and the general yeah. public. <laughs> so yeah, this is so we did a survey kind of of uh, I think it was like a. One point, yeah, one one thousand four hundred and forty-eight people we surveyed, yeah. and readers of Olive and the general public both came out top. Spotted Dick, so yeah. I don't know why that's so synonymous with 
with the Brits. Maybe but. it's just that that sort of memory of steamed puddings at yeah. school because it's like a steamed pudding with um, fruit in it, isn't it? Like yeah. one... I, don't even, I don't even know what one is. Aww. I'm never a millennial. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So to me, I'm just like, what? I think it's probably best you haven't had it. Yeah. It's, um, it's an acquired taste. But I think it is uniquely British. It's kind of that steamed pudding thing is, yeah, it's, is very It's quite heavy and it's very wintry as well. Yeah. So I guess maybe people were still a little bit heads in the winter when they were answering the questions. Yeah. Or maybe when you think of pudding, you just think of something that's quite dense and quite heavy. Yeah, pudding is... Is, language is an interesting thing, isn't it? Yeah. Just dessert, you think sophisticated, yeah, potentially yeah. quite light yeah. and fancy, and pudding, 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 pudding is uh, you could take your eye out with yeah, it, yeah. rib sticking and delicious. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of what people think of when you say British puddings. Yeah. But in terms of what people actually love, and you know the most widely liked puddings, yeah. that was a different result altogether, wasn't it? So yeah, and top, not su- not surprisingly, no. I think apple crumble came out top. You can't go wrong with one. Can you, you can't go wrong with a crumble. I mean, we've got a crumble in the issue. It's not actually an apple crumble. <laughs> it's a smacked peach Melba crumble, and it's it's absolutely beautiful. So delicious. So um, the way you make it is um, we we took a, a technique from um, Asian cooking where you smack cucumbers to break them apart into sort of random chunks, and that that like allows them to soak up the flavours. Like mm. in this case, it would be Szechuan cooking. Mm. So what Sarah did is she smacked in quite a comedy way, smacked. Um, <laughs> peaches with a big rolling pin to break up into huge chunks and then mix that with kind of sugar and raspberries and it's covered in a like a coconut crumble like a crumble mix but with coconut through it and it's so delicious it's so good because it starts to break down the the fibers of the fruit yeah exactly. so you get that natural saucy juiciness yeah, below so much juice coming out but then you still get proper big chunks and yeah just a combination with those lovely sharp raspberries and the coconut it is dreamy yeah that's great so good um, and then another one, which you managed to hit the jackpot with again, <laughs> is sticky toffee pudding. My personal favourite. If I see this on a menu, I can't go past it. Really? Yeah, that's. I mean, <laughs> and I know that it's traditionally quite heavy, and but it's so good. I've always dodged them in the past because to me, that it's like the worst end of British puddings, as in like it is so dense and filling when you've already had it. I love it. I can't believe this is sacrilege. I know, but... With ice cream, with vanilla ice cream for me, that is, and loads of toffee sauce, um, that's beautiful. But what Sarah did again is she's added an extra thing. So it's, she's added um, ginger to it. So, and and there's crystallised ginger on top. So it's kind of fudgy, dense toffee, but with spice ginger in there as well. I actually really like these when they came out of the test (laughs) kitchen. Um, I might have eaten a whole one or two. But what I love about those as well is they're kind of little individual puddings. So rather than having these big slabs of, you know, um, doorstop type puddings that you sometimes see with sticky toffee puddings. Yeah had an elegantness about them, which I thought was really, really nice. Definitely. Um, We had some other winners in there as well, didn't we? Trifle. Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah. And when Sarah was putting it together, we said she she mentioned doing a trifle, but based on a Neapolitan ice cream. um, So And again, I don't know if I grew up eating this, like (laughs) in a bar, um, vanilla, strawberry and chocolate ice cream in three different stripes. I think we need to check with the Millennial Hill Air, Ellie. (laughs) I mean, I can't say I hate them all the time. I think I have had one before, but... I think... But no, it is beautiful, this yeah. trifle. Remember- what is your favourite pudding, Ellie? I... See, I love tiramisu and rice pudding. Interesting. They're, yeah. They're my favourites. See, rice pudding came up on our worst... Our hated list, didn't it? So we had... What were the ones on there? So um, tapioca. Tap- tapioca, which yeah. is classic. Though, though, I mean, who even serves tapioca anymore? That used to be, like... 
that used to be a punishment at school school dinner time when they wheeled the tapioca out. Yeah. I don't, can you still get it? Where do you get it? I don't it? think you Who can get it? it. Well, I, I, try, <laughs> I try. I can't even remember. This is terrible because I should know. But the name of a um, uh, New Zealand one is it Lego or something? Like that? Oh, Sago. Sago. Sago pudding. Yeah. Which is very similar, but that yeah, was absolutely really similar, delicious. Yeah. But also, you think of cheer pudding and stuff now, which is a similar frog yeah, which is why texture. I can't get near it. <laughs> it's all the rage, you know. So and bring also, tapioca people back. keep sending in cheer products, and I just keep <clears> giving them away. But yeah, rice pudding was the next most hated, wasn't it? Yeah. Along with Angel Delight, which I'm horrified at because I love Angel Delight yeah. so much. I mean, it seems to be like the sort of mushy, not very much texture puddings yeah. are the ones that are getting a bit of hate. And it also, rice pudding is the thing that reminds people most of their childhood. Yeah. So they must just have bad associations. <laughs> they need to have new. <laughs> did you, yeah. when you ate the rice pudding, did you have jam in it? No. <gasps> You've not lived, Ellie. Such a millennial. Right, we need to educate you. Basically, there's a way you can work out what type of people are, and it's when you put jam in your rice pudding, do you eat a bit of the rice pudding and then a bit of the jam, or do you stir it all together no, and make it pink? And if you're a stirry together person, you're not you're one a type of Yeah, you're yeah. a wrong <laughs> Yeah, I remember finding this is really like. I shouldn't be admitting this on the podcast, but I found a tin once walking home with, you know, like with no label on. And I picked it up and brought it home and it had rice pudding in. And that was like the win. I had cold, like ambrosia rice pudding foraged from my walk home. Were you drunk? No, this was when I was a child. <laughs> <All right. laughs> so no, I was drunk on, you know, rice pudding child. fever. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was, probably shouldn't admit that. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on. But yeah, <clears throat> just because Ali mentioned tiramisu, mm. we, also, we also asked people what the most popular, I like this word continental yeah. is. um very 70s um and i guess it's it's not surprisingly creme brulee came up top oh it, by a huge amount as yeah well, but, it? um, a real front runner. as we mentioned before we think we actually invented creme brulee sorry french but um <laughs> but cambridge burnt creams yeah. apparently were invented before creme brulee and it's exactly the same recipe so yeah so i think we can claim that one and we've got one of those own. on our website haven't we yeah, most we do. Of, i would um, say all of these we've got on our website yeah which is some great. description um but yeah tiramisu was up there as well that was one of the top ones along with panna cotta yeah and is... profiteroles which is another one of my i love profiteroles just yeah. because i I mean, who can be bothered to make shoe pastry? Not me. <laughs> so when someone else does it, I'm pretty um, pretty happy. But yeah, and I guess um, one thing we did ask people is what do they think will be served at the royal wedding? Yeah, we, we're getting pudding. to the royal wedding hook eventually, yeah. aren't we? Yes. Um, uh, yeah, the results were, were very um, obvious, I think. Yeah. So eat and mess. Yeah. You know, one eaten. <laughs> bit, you know, near Windsor and all, all that. Been there. Yeah, um, but it's just a classic British dessert. It's quite light yeah. and summery. You know, you've got the meringue, you've got the cream, you've got the fresh fruit. Yeah, super easy though. Mm. You think that they might aim for something a little bit harder? Although, uh, we were talking about this this week. Oh, yeah. They announced that they're doing bowl food at the yeah. wedding, which is very trendy and very casual. It's no also thrown, sit thrown everyone into an absolute spin about because we, we've got a kind of we, we've got a bowl food collection online. Like we understand what bowl food is because. Um, it's sort of a thing that came from butter bowls in yeah. New York and, and California, like way back, didn't it? And, and it's sort of, it's quite a trendy thing. Yeah. But you can see <laughs> the headlines on like all of I the know. tablets. Or, what, what the, the hell, hell is bowl what food? What the hell is bowl food? 
I think it's just it's food easy, in a bowl. Easy, yeah, it's, food, it's, <laughs> it's literally food in a bowl, and it's nice, easy eating, mm. isn't it? It's it's a bit more substantial than a canapé. Yeah, it's not as traditional as a sit-down dinner, and you can just use like one fork and shovel it in. Yeah, which I think is key. You don't yeah. want to be trying to navigate a knife yeah. when you're talking to the queen. But you know? as we said, I doubt they're going to serve like curry or no, nothing think, sloppy. I nothing think sloppy or I can imagine it being quite Californian and healthy. Yeah, because Megan's Megan. really into her kind of sort of. Tacos in a bowl. Well, <laughs> Ellie's got the in- fish tacos, or oh. Megan loves. Who knew? Yeah. So they might be putting tacos in a bowl. There you go. That could be a thing. If it's a taco bowl, you heard like you heard, <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> so but I yeah, I definitely think Eater must be up there. Summer pudding, queen of puddings. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Megan trying to take the throne. Um, I hope the lawyers aren't listening. Syllabub uh, and trifle. They're all up there. I've done about syllabub though. I, I mean, does anyone eat syllabub? Well, I think it was. That sounds quite. It's medieval, isn't it? It's yeah. banquety. <laughs> yeah. yeah, still a bub in the bowl. Yeah, um, just for the headlines. I hope it's that. I I think. Yeah, I think even though it's quite simple, I'm going to go eating mess or summer pudding just because summer pudding's so beautiful and you can make it ahead. Yeah, which is probably what they're aiming for too. Yeah. So yeah. All sound delicious. But anyway, all of those recipes we mentioned are in the magazine um, and we also have tons online. So any any British pudding you can think of, go and search for it on olivemagazine.com. If it's not there... Tweet us. Tweet us and we'll we'll do it. Abuse us online, tell us. Tweet us and we will write a recipe for it. But we're we're not doing tapioca. Okay, all right. Thank you very much. Thank you, Janine. Bye. Thank you, Ellie. Hi, so I'm here with Took Osborne, who's Executive Vice President of the McElhenney Company, and they produce Tabasco sauce, and this year is your 150th birthday. Congratulations. Well, thank you very much. 150-year-old baby. We're, we're very excited, too. And, <laughs> and we've been, the 150 years, is we obviously started in the U.S., but we've been in, in the U.K. for just about that long as well. Really? Yeah. So it's, it's a worldwide, well not worldwide, but yeah, it is a worldwide thing, I guess. I it, it was exported to, to London and to the Britain before it really got to the rest of the US. Yeah. So it kind of went to New Orleans first from Avery Island. Avery Island's about 200, or two, two and a half hours from New Orleans. Uh, but before it, it went to New Orleans, New York, San Francisco, London, and that's before that's, that it made it to journey. Chicago or anywhere wow. else. So. Can you briefly tell us how it came to be? Because it's quite a nice story, isn't it? So my great great grandfather Edmund Macklin started <laughs> it, and he was he was he loved food, and one of his friends had given him a handful of dried chilies, and he uh, he just put it on his on his food like that, and and liked it so much took some of the seeds that he left over and grew out the plants and continued to make dry okay. a dry seasoning for a bit and then had extra and put it in a pickled it uh, and and that's really how Tabasco got started it's the similar recipe and again it's, it's three three ingredients are the peppers which are the Tabasco peppers yeah uh, salt which is the salt from Avery Island it is an ingredient but it's we're considered low salt so yeah. so for for heart healthy diets we, yeah. we can be substituted for salt and then it's the old style of making vinegar it's called beechwood generated vinegar and it's no one uses this vinegar i think but us really but okay. it's much more complex so <clears throat> those those three ingredients uh, and, and then when he first made it so this was really a, a way to extend the life of it and make a liquid yeah, pepper yeah, seasoning is what he called yeah. and then he uh he 
aged it by accident for three, had so much one year. He had a bumper crop and <laughs> aged it for three years and said, this is really that much better. Four because years it didn't work. Because it kind of mellowed slightly. And exactly. And we've done, we've done experiments with it. You can, uh, it, 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 the color, the flavor, the smell, everything changes after about two and a half years. So, so that's the premium time to, to right. basically have it well change it into the sauce from the mash. We'll get onto that in a bit. Um, so tell us about the pepper, because I've read that the pepper that you're using now is got the same kind of strain as the very original Tabasco pepper, which is where you get that distinctive flavor from. That, that's very true. And, and it's, um, it is essentially a weed. So all of red peppers came from sort of that the Amazon upper Amazon River Valley sort of where okay. Peru and Ecuador and Colombia Brazil all come together and um, so the strain was came from there and it probably it traveled to um, to the Caribbean and then into Central America where E. Macklin first got a hold of it but it really didn't change and it's essentially in its original form yeah. uh, so what we've done for the last 150 years is a member of the Macklin family has, has selected the plants used for next year's crop wow. so that's sort of unnatural selection of, of, <laughs> the, uh, of the peppers but that's what, so we, we keep control of the seed stock. So you're picking the best plants and making sure that it Right. Keeps on going, and, and that's one of the things you know. So the the perp, why it's an advantage to have a family yeah. company is that that's <laughs> part of it's the quality, but also yeah. the sort of historical knowledge of what does a good plant look like, how does it you know, and that that quality is always the number one thing. Has anybody tr ever tried to steal your peppers and run uh, off and do it? Absolutely, and, and <laughs> not only that, we brag about our yeah. that we have three ingredients. We tell you the percentage Time of pepper it, yeah. and everything, we but it's should, just yeah. we just don't think anybody can do it the way we can no, do it. No, I think that's the the thing is like there's there's a there's a recipe and there's ingredients but unless you've got everything else you're not going to be able to make tabasco are you that's and, yeah. and, and a lot of what we consider so it's three official ingredients yeah. we have the fourth unofficial ingredient <laughs> which is people which yeah. is the the people that make it and and where we make it so that's yeah. really the fourth ingredient so so um talking about that process because it is it's ridiculously simple and i think people would be really shocked how simple the production process is. So you are producing the same strain of Tabasco chili pepper, and I think now it used to be they used to all be produced on every island, didn't they? But now you you've got other farmers around who you send seeds to. Is that correct? Right. So the the the, the strain is the same. It's never been bred for disease resistance or or, uh, or enhanced. Um, uh, yields, so it, it's we have to be very smart farmers with it. We have to be very. Uh, we do, do, do integrated pest management. It's it's a sort of a, it's it's a very in touch sort of farming, in touch with what you're doing because we although we're not we're, we're not organic, we we farm or like we're organic. Right. And and so you have to be the farms. The average size of a farm is less than a hectare or you know cup, an acre oh, and so a half. So you've got control over it in terms of the size, and you can walk around and see that right. everything's looking okay, and there's no disease. And, and the farmers that have been doing it sometimes yeah. are third or fourth generation. So yeah, uh, we, we got too big for Avery Island a few yeah. years ago, and and started taking. Uh, uh, peppers from Colombia and Peru and, and uh, Mexico 
Honduras. And what, once the, the farmers who are farming your peppers for you have, um, once they've come to fruition and they're perfect to pick, what happens then? So it's ground in, in the field, yeah. they grind it with, with 8% pepper. So I mean, 8% as as, salt. As soon as it's picked. As soon day it's picked. Yeah. It has to be the day it's picked. And it's ground that same day. And um, it's put in a barrel. And then it's transported around the country to a central point, And then it's combined in a uh, in, in either barrels or vats and then sent to, to Avery Island. I love this. So basically, it's like you send out your kids to grow and then you bring them all back. That's exactly right. you put them in a little, where, well, it's not a little warehouse, it's a huge kind of warehouse, and they get to sit there for three years turning into magic Tabasco. That's it. So everything comes back to Avery Island? Everything comes back to Avery Island, and it's inspected by... So that's the first place okay. the family sort of gets to look at it. So the, part of the, the whole succession plan of, of McElhenney Company is having the family involved in all the steps. And yeah. the initial part... And the most important thing we do is the, is the, the, the raw ingredients yeah. for this. And so it's inspected by... Uh, the family member, when they first come in, that's what, that's their job is to sort of inspect the incoming peppers. So they'll learn inspect about that. the mash that comes right. in and say, do you ever reject any? And yeah. say, it's not really. No. Wow. Not often because, again, we, we've mm. been doing this with, with the same people. We, I've, I've been working at the company uh, for full time because yeah. I worked when I was younger. But uh, <laughs> I've been working full time for 20 years yeah. and I'm still considered sort of the new kid. <laughs> Yeah. And even though, you know, generationally and everything, but yeah. you, once you hit like 35 years, then you're, you're taken seriously. Wow. And then, so once it's sat there for the, the premium time, which is three years, just literally sitting in barrels, maturing, becoming Tabasco sauce, what happens to it then? Well, it, and, it, and that warehouse is pretty, if you've seen it, yeah, it's, yeah. it's pretty impressive. It kind of looks like out of the Raiders of the Lost Ark. It really it's does. It's, it kind of takes your breath away when you walk in for all sorts of reasons. I mean, there's obviously, um, you know, the smell of the mash permeates through the air as well, doesn't it? But, um, but yeah, it's gigantic. So. And, and we don't fully understand. We know, we know the scientific processes. We know that it's a fermentation. Yeah. We know that it's, uh, it's large molecules breaking into small. But that aging and the fermenting, mm. it, when, it stop, when the fermenting actually stops and the aging happens, it's sort of, it is sort of like the Avery Island magic. And it's, right, the, yeah. it's the humidity. It's the fact that it's aged in, the, in uh, bourbon barrels. Yeah. So we take old bourbon barrels, clean the char out of them and get all the alcohol out, uh, which is part of the fun of working in that department <laughs> is you get to go take all that home with you. But we clean out those barrels and then age it for three years there. And like I said, we, we, we don't fully understand. It goes through these three yeah. seasons. We, it's breathing in the wood and the hot and the, and the humid and the, the cold weather. And then it's taken out and mixed with uh, it's, then it's inspected by our, our CEO. So who, whomever is the CEO, and we've only, I think, had seven in our 150-year history. Has to everything. Has to inspect everything. Wow. So he gets to take a look at, he, he opens it up and either tastes or smells. Each barrel. Each barrel. So each morning he looks at uh, roughly 98 barrels. Uh, and, and those are the 98 barrels that, that are then going to go on to the, the To make the process. That's, that's that day's process. Um, and then they... Is it, does it get strained out or is it kind it, of... It's just mixed with vinegar and sits for about two to three okay, weeks. Okay, right. And then after that, then then to, to maintain consistency, we, we take out some of the, the, the seeds and the skins because if you left it in, yeah. it would continue to get hotter and hotter. Yeah, hotter, yeah. And so the, that is basically Tabasco. And, and that's it's how you make it. The same 
recipe, the same, uh, the same process that oh. we've been doing. We've had to up upstage it a bit because we make more in a day than now than E. Macklin made in his lifetime. How so, many bottles would you get out of ninety-eight barrels of mash? It's about so figure that it's about ten thousand uh, sixty <laughs> ml bottles really? per barrel. Ten thousand per barrel, and we're doing uh, wow. ninety-eight barrels, so it's a lot. That's that's because I was, my next question was going to be. How the heck do you make all of the sauce out of that one production? But I can see how. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of, a lot of Tabasco. It's concentrated. And it, so anytime you make a, we make a change in the process, it mm. takes years. Like even if we change a pump yeah. or a, a, the, the material that the, the hose is or that the pipe, yeah. it, it takes three or four years to test to make sure that there's no... That no, you're not no putting a little cog in the wheel and right. making changing things. And Any flavor change in the flavor profile or anything. So, would it be safe to say that the Tabasco we taste now is exactly the same as it was 150 years ago? I think so. Pretty much. I think so. That's that's pretty big claim to, to make, and you know, I think what you've said obviously backs it up. Let's talk a bit about Avery Island because I'm lucky enough to have been there and it's, it's such a magical place. Um, so it's in uh, Louisiana and it's, can you describe, because it's not actually an island, but it kind of, can you describe it sort of geographically so people can get a sense of it in their heads? Right, so it's about uh, 150 miles west of New Orleans, right yeah. on, the, so it's right on the, the Gulf of Mexico where we're about um, 14 miles from big open water yeah but what what from between that water and us or marshland which is basically just like high grass yeah you can't really walk in it you'll sink in, into the mud but <laughs> and get eaten um, by, a get, get eaten oh, by sorry, an alligator alligators or bitten by a something and and uh but it's it's um spectacularly a lot of uh, uh animal a lot of biodiversity it's within that lush isn't yeah, it it's got bird. this we were saying before it's kind of almost got its own kind of biosphere or there's there's kind of um you go there and it's so green and kind of um the swamps and the the alligators running around and i think you've got egrets that come to roost egrets and we've got bears and we've got turkeys (laughs) and bobcats and pretty dangerous place but it's it's all very but as you know it's very welcoming yeah yeah very welcoming there's a lot of mosquitoes which are not welcoming or they're they're happy to see you but you're not so happy to see them um, and then out of that, all that, that sort of grassy marsh, there's some swamp with these cypress trees, which are sort of yeah. what, the, what you think of when you think of Louisiana. And then there's this high point of, it's a salt dome. Yes, yeah, so you've got a salt dome underneath. Right, so it's basically like a big thumb of salt that's, yeah. uh, you know, probably 20, 15,000 meters deep. Yeah. So it's it's... It's, it's supposedly it's as tall as Mount Everest, or as wow. deep as Mount Everest is tall. And that's where you harvest the salt that goes into the, the Tabasco. Right. Yeah. And I think you said that you've got a constant kind of battle with, like, like conservation and sustainability because obviously things are getting eroded and you're trying to kind of buffer up and trying to make sure that the island stays sustainable as well. And, and that's uh, part of our mentality, part of our DNA is that it, when we were on an island, we were we, the product, product was created on an island, yeah. and we have that mentality where you don't throw anything out, no. where you use everything to, you know, it's hard to get, re- natural resources or any resources are yeah. hard to get, so we 
anything that we use. So the barrels, after we use them, sometimes we'll use them for 30 or 40 years. Well, even you can use them over and over just again. Just over and over wow. and over again. And then we'll, we'll take them and either make... Uh, you know, we, we'll grind them up and find some use for them. We, we sell them for, uh, to, to put, uh, make barbecue. You can put it in your barbecue. You can, we'll make fences out of it. We'll okay. do something with it. But yeah. everything, anything, any parts of the, we drain off in, in making Tabasco, we drain a little bit of the, the salt water out that mm. was created when, when, uh, when we make Tabasco and we'll sell that or make that. So everything gets reused recycled re whatever because and that's given us this mentality of of conservationism and then plus a lot of my relatives in the past have been very involved with wildlife conservation yeah. so we just we have that in our and, and we're in a very uh, fragile environment mm -hmm. so we have to do a lot to maintain the 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 pr really protect Avery Island, yeah. protect the home of no, Tabasco. People can come and visit you, can't they? Right, like they can. If, if anyone listening wanted to come and was happened to be in the area and wanted right. to come to Avery Island, you can... Well, I, I highly recommend a trip to <laughs> New Orleans, and it's it's fun to see, and it's a wonderful food culture. Yeah. And then coming out to, to Avery Island, it's about a, a two-hour drive, yeah. and it's a wonderful drive, and you're sort of going back in time when you, when you leave New Orleans and drive along the coast, and and uh, come and visit, and we have a great visitor's experience. Yeah. And you get to see how Tabasco is made, and you can taste. People don't realize we have 30 or 40 different flavors yeah, out there. Got, people don't realize yeah. we're putting it in. We put it in Spam. We put it in uh, um, beef sticks, ice cream, Oh, yeah, soda. you've got the shop where you've got all the different products that you kind of, that right. Tabasco has gone into. It's quite, it's like a Tabasco branded supermarket. It is. Oh, it's, it's you every, can if buy you, in everything. If you can put Tabasco on it, yeah. yeah. If you can put Tabasco on it, we've done it. <clears throat> yeah. And what's going to happen in the next 150 years? Got any plans? <laughs> I think, you know, we're going to, it's an ever-changing, yeah. uh, we have a lot more competition than we used to do. Yeah, definitely. But that's, I, we look at that as a very positive thing because people are caring more about where food everything comes from, where uh, it comes prominence. from, that it tastes good. Yeah. They're not just happy with. I mean, you can see what's happened in Britain. Uh, I lived here twenty years, twenty five years ago, yeah. and the food culture has definitely changed here. The food so is much. incredibly good. London is setting the the uh, all the trends for pretty much the world now. So mm -hmm. it's it's a uh, that kind of thing. We have to stay up with that. So. Yeah. It's going to be, it's a challenge, but I think we're up for it. And yeah. we've, we've been successful for the last 150 and we're going to continue to, to pay attention to the trends. And are you going to keep everything as much as possible on Avery Island? So the same philosophy, the same way of working, the same... That's, that's the key to our success. Yeah. So I, I can't see changing that. No, that's great. Well, thank you so much for coming to talk to us, Took. And You're very I welcome. wish you well for the next 150 years. Well, thank you. And I hope you come back to the island. And <laughs> you, you did it five or six years ago. Yeah, you need well, to come back it again. It was such an experience. I recommend it to anyone. But thank you. I'll try. <laughs> <laughs> that was the Olive Magazine podcast. If you like this episode, please head over to iTunes and leave a review. We'd really love to hear from you. For more information on things in this episode, you can visit our website, olivemagazine.com. You can also pick up a copy of our brand new May issue now, which has all those lovely British puddings we talked about, or go download the app version. Bye for now, and we'll be back next week with more food and drink chat.